Hello, I'm John McAlevey, and this is The Quadcast, a podcast mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, but is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. I'd like to think of The Quadcast as your 30 to 45 minute session of OT and PT for the soul. In case you missed last week's episode, and quite frankly, how could that have happened, you can catch my conversation with the great Eric Legrand on my website, which is www.quadcast.org. And if you are possibly a prolific podcast person, this show can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Podchaser, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. That, my friends, is eight different hosts, or one for every listener I have each week. Just kidding, but we could use more, so let's continue to build. Now let's begin episode number 11. I'm going to start out interactive here. So do you consider yourself a glass-half-empty or a glass-half-full person? The connotation being, are you more pessimistic or optimistic? It is just how people live their lives. Along those lines, today's quote comes from Winston Churchill when he once famously said, quote, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty, end quote. Did you know that optimism has been proven to improve the immune system, prevent chronic disease, and help people cope with unfortunate news? Optimists and pessimists often approach problems differently and recent research shows that their ability to cope successfully with adversity differs as a result. Hmm. So I ask you again, are you an optimist or a pessimistic? Go ahead, show of hands, raise them up. I will tell you that I consider myself an optimist. Don't get me wrong, I am human, and as such, sometimes I fall off the glass half full wagon, but for the most part, I like to live on the sunny side of the street. This was true before my SEI, and thankfully it is true today. Here is another question for you. Are you a happy person or a not-so-happy person? Happy people enjoy their lives, every minute of them, while unhappy people wait for something to make them happy. Happy people enjoy what they have, while those who are unhappy envy what others have. Happy people are confident and sociable and kind and friendly, while unhappy people are often frustrated, self-focused, and socially withdrawn. Now I ask you these questions, but with the backdrop of perhaps having a life-altering event, such as a spinal cord injury or a stroke or an amputation. Would you still be an optimist if you were told you would never walk again? What about if you were no longer independent and needed others to do much of your daily chores? Would you continue to be such a happy person? Well, these are questions hopefully most of you will never have to answer. My guest today, however, Faris Fakuri, tackles these questions and others in a book he has written entitled The Happiness Perspective. Faris is a physical therapist at Kessler Institute, and we met for the first time back in the fall of 2019 when my PT at the time, Karen Baig, introduced us and we talked about podcasting. I remember bending their ears off, squawking about this one in particular. Well, it is now a thing, and Faris will join me following this short time out. Infinite Therapy Solutions is a pediatric therapy clinic providing services in Hudson and Essex counties for five years. If your child is having difficulty with speech, motor skills, behavioral triggers, or physical movement, you can count on their exceptional therapists for help. Infinite Therapy Solutions provides physical therapy, 
occupational therapy, speech therapy, and behavioral therapy to children ages 0 to 21. Come to a warm, professional clinic to receive the best care to help your child achieve their highest potential. My friend Hillary would be happy to answer any questions for you at 201-455-3144. They take insurances, so call to inquire. There are two locations in West Orange and Bayonne. Check out their website at infinitetherapysolutions.org. And welcome back to the show. Hey, I don't have a guest for next week, so is there someone you want to hear from? Please send me suggestions to my email address, which is jmacalevy at comcast.net. Maybe you want to appear on the Quadcast. That is an option too, my friends. Reach out and tell me who you are and why we should talk. And now, without further ado, I would like to welcome the aforementioned Faris Fakuri to the show. Faris, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, John. I really appreciate it. Boy, I've been looking forward to this for a while, and uh, we're going to get to your book in a minute, which really sounds uh, exciting and amazing. But usually what I like to do when I start off my show is to sort of find out a little bit about uh, the person that I'm speaking with. So first of all, why don't you tell us where you're from, where you grew up, and what were some of the things you like to do as a young person? Absolutely. So I am a Jersey boy. I grew up in central Jersey, if you believe in the central Jersey. So I grew up in uh, Parland, New Jersey, which is um, about 25, 30 minutes outside New York City. Um, And growing up, I was very fortunate. My parents um, sort of provided for my brother, sister and I um, and sort of grew up in a working class family. Uh, My mom did pretty much all the raising of my brother, sister, and I, and my dad sort of provided through work. Uh, my parents actually, I'm first generation here, so my parents came over in the late 70s from Jordan. And, um, you know, growing up, like I said, I was just very fortunate looking back and went to private grammar school, high school. Um, and just growing up, honestly, came back from school, did my homework, and just went out in the neighborhood, played with the, um, all them, all my neighbors. I really enjoyed um, sports growing up, that was really a key and sort of my, sort of how I was raised and grew up. And I, ever since I could remember, was very involved with all different sort of sports growing up. And I pretty much played everything, um, under the sun until about high school when I sort of shifted gears and really focused on soccer, which was sort of my main passion. Isn't it amazing, um, Ferris, how sports are, you know, that common bond? I mean, I think everybody that I've spoken with here from, I had Eric Legrand on last week and he talked about when he was a young guy, he thought that baseball was going to be his sport and be his calling. And <laughs> I spoke to Mikey Nichols and of course, Mikey's a hockey guy and he played a ton of sports as a, as a young guy. And I played a million different things. So soccer sort of came to the forefront for you in high school. Is that when it was? Yep. So once I hit high school, I sort of focused all my energy on soccer. Okay. And now soccer, I think, is what brought you to to college. I mean, was that something that was one of the uh, main reasons why you chose Villanova, as I know they like to say down on the main line? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I know you went to Villanova University. And uh, tell us about that, Uh, what you majored in there. I mean, did you start to to think um, of a career working, you know, with with folks who have disabilities and whatnot? Did that sort of start uh, in college? Yeah, actually. um, So I um, when I was sort of finishing up high school, I wasn't getting recruited too much for soccer from any like big one, um, 
some of the bigger D1 schools. I was getting a lot of looks from Division three schools and a few Division one schools here and there. But my Villanova roots are really tied to my brother because my older brother went there. He's three years older. And then every time I visited him, I just loved the campus. I enjoyed going there. Um, it really just felt like home every time I went there. So I did actually did not get recruited there. I walked on there. Um, I actually didn't even make it my freshman year. So I sort of redshirted my freshman year because I got mm-hmm. cut. Mm-hmm. It was a big incoming class that year. I ended up walking on, played in the spring season. And then by my sophomore year, I was when I sort of joined the team and um, was fortunate enough to sort of play for my four years because I did redshirt my, my, uh, my freshman year. So once I got to Villanova, I wasn't too sure in terms of professionally what I wanted to do. Um, I majored in psychology and then probably sophomore towards the end of sophomore year, I was getting a lot of ankle injuries and I had to go to physical therapy myself to sort of rehab and sort of go through the process of trying to get back on the field. So I knew I wanted to be in the medical field in some way, shape, or form to help others. I knew I did not want to be in an office. Um, so I focused my energies on physical therapy. I took all the prerequisites to sort of fill the requirements to in order to apply. And when I first started my journey in physical therapy, I honestly thought I was going to be really focusing all of my energy um, on working with some sort of professional team, being somewhat involved with sports because that was such a big passion of mine growing up. Sure. And you could see, for all you kids out there, perseverance. Uh, Ferris didn't make the team on his first go-round, but he stuck with it. I know I coach basketball. I coach eighth-grade boys basketball in Milburn, and this will be my 20th year on the bench, if you can believe that. And it's funny, I tell the kids before the season, I said, I'll probably be the only coach you have that not only can't dribble a basketball, but I can't even hold one anymore for like 10 (laughs) seconds or so. But yeah, we give that speech at the end of the year. Like if you don't make the team, don't quit. You know, Michael Jordan didn't make his freshman team. So there's always an opportunity down the road. But yeah, perseverance uh, is is something that um, everybody needs and it, it carried you through, I see. So how about when did you decide between was OT ever an option for you or was it, was it PT all along? Because I know there's, I know there's not really a a rivalry between you two guys, but I know that (laughs) OT, they, a lot of my OT friends feel that they sort of get short shrifted there. Uh, Everybody just wants to know, Hey, is so-and-so going to walk? Are they going to walk again? They don't know whether they're going to feed themselves or get their shirts on and whatnot. So was OT ever an option for you? No, it it wasn't. And not because of, you know, I, I just wasn't exposed to it, honestly. Um, and shout out to all the OTs. I work very closely with them and what they do is absolutely amazing. Um, just a spectrum and skill that they're able to sort of tap into and help our patients um, sort of reach is really incredible. So OTs are amazing. I'm so happy I get to work in a team environment. And that's another thing, you know, the game um, sports in general, but the, you know, soccer taught me is being part of a team and being part of something bigger than yourself is so, so powerful. And I get to collaborate with my OTs pretty regularly and speech therapists pretty regularly. And I love that about my job. I still feel like I'm part of the team, um, trying to problem solve things, but OT was never really on my radar only because I was never exposed to it. And I really didn't get exposed to it until I sort of came to Kessler 
for one of my clinicals when I was in physical therapy school. That's perfect. You're leading me right into my next question. You put the ball in the tee for me, Faris. <laughs> Kessler Institute. Now, growing up in New Jersey, um, did you know of Kessler? Did you um, had you ever heard of it and what was going on there? And if not, when was it? When did it finally hit your radar? Yeah. So I honestly never even heard of Kessler. Didn't have anything growing up didn't really need to um i was never exposed to kessler um in west orange but oddly enough playing soccer you know the armory uh, john i'm not sure if you know it's right right across this right down the street from it i do you know and it's funny because two weeks ago when i had adria de simone on um the great adria who is the vocational director at kessler she told me the mm-hmm. same story her father used to drop her and her teammates off to play soccer there and i i actually yeah so you know funny. now i notice when i drive out of there uh, i can see the soccer field in the back so yeah yeah so growing up i that was you know, I was so close to it, but I never knew because it's sort of tucked in as if you don't really pull into the campus, it's sort of up the hill a little bit. So, um, Kessler was never on my radar until my third year of physical therapy school. So every program is a little unique in terms of PT. I, um, went to Rutgers. There's two campuses actually. There's one in South Jersey. So I went down there. That's where I did my physical therapy school. And in my, throughout your three years of PT school, you do rotations in sort of different settings to sort of figure out exactly which setting you want to work in. Um, and like I said, I wanted to work with athletes. So I wanted to work in sports. That was sort of what I thought my calling was, but I couldn't have been more wrong. When I walked into Kessler my first day, I, um, I really just fell in love with the environment, the teamwork, the collaboration. Um, with the, all the other healthcare professionals and just the impact I felt like I was able to have during my 12 weeks there. I just, something kept pulling me back to it. And I, it was just a calling that I, I just couldn't sort of ignore. Right. So once I graduated from PT school, a position opened up there and I've been there ever since. So I've been there about eight years. Now, was, was that your first taste of working with folks that had had spinal cord injuries and, and brain injuries um, when you did your uh, clinical at Kessler? Yes, that was my exposure. The, uh, the only other exposure I had was to working with the neuro patient population was just in classrooms and then maybe like day trips to local rehab centers down in Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this was pretty much my, my main exposure, my third year of physical therapy school to the neuro rehab, uh, patient population. Yes. Okay. And once, I mean, it's not, I say we, I don't want to speak for all folks that have had a spinal cord injury, but you know, mm-hmm. it's not like you're rehabbing, like you were talking about, you had bad ankles or, you know, somebody had rotator cuff surgery and you're working on a shoulder. I mean, when you have folks that are in wheelchairs that have really little to no mobility or somebody like me who can get up and walk around, I like to tell people, but I can't do a bloody thing when I get anywhere because my arms don't work. <laughs> it's, it's a lot different. So take us behind the thought with working with that sort of population all of a sudden yeah i mean just the impact i was able to have and you know i got into the profession to help other people but the impact and the sort of the perspective that i've been able to gain the past eight years you know if you ask any pt student sort of prospective pt student oc student why they want to get into the rehab world i would say that most of them would say they want to help others Mm -hmm. But never in a million years would I 
think that my patients would be helping me so much more that I would ever be able to help them. Just my perspective on a daily basis, appreciating the little things. Um, you know, it's it's just been it's treating this patient population has really just made a profound impact on my life. And it just I guess the number one thing would be just to appreciate and having gratitude on a daily basis for you know, all the little things that we are able to do on a daily basis. Well, I have to tell you, as uh, for you being such a young man to be able to verbalize that, you know, we need more Ferris Vakuris around because you don't hear that from, from too many people, at least in this world at this time. So how about as if working a full-time job at Kessler was not enough. I mean, I see how hard you guys all work in your team meetings and your, I see you on your laptops filling out all these things and I hear everybody grumbling about that. When did the idea of becoming an author jump out at you? So I don't really consider myself to be the creative type. Um, so this is a sort of my creative way, writing and getting things out of my head, especially within the setting that I particularly work in. It was my first two or three years. It was a lot for me just to sort of treat this patient population. I couldn't leave it at work. I constantly found myself sort of thinking about my patients and sort of the life-changing injuries they were sort of trying to deal with and live with. So there came a point where I started a little bit of a journaling just to sort of get things out of my head. Um, it was very cathartic for me. And then I started a blog. Again, that was, again, sort of the next step. It just getting things out of my head, I just felt like really helped me sort of unwind and get some of the things that I wanted to out of my head onto paper. And then I honestly never thought of writing a book. And then one of my patients who went to Georgetown, young girl, she ended up having a stroke. And I met her probably two years ago. One of her professors from Georgetown um, does this program and she actually went through the program and I was telling her about how I enjoy writing and she's like, why don't you write a book? I was like, uh, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> so she kept forcing it, pushing it. And that's sort of how it all happened. So that was sort of the genesis of me wanting to sort of pursue this. And I started this journey in January of this year. Amazing. Which brings us to yeah. the happiness perspective, learning to mm -hmm. reframe our physical trauma into hope, happiness, and connection. Amazing. Tell us about how all of that came out. And it's a terrific title. Where did, where did that come from? Thank you. So, yeah, um, my, my book is, you know, I think happiness is very subjective, of course. And I think when we talk about happiness, um, we're constantly focusing on the wrong things. And that's some of the things that I've learned from my patients specifically. We're looking at, you know, social media. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And I argue in my book that happiness is something so much more deeper than that. And while social media and things like that are great ways to connect, just like we're doing right now, John, I feel like sometimes we focus our energies in terms of happiness specifically on the wrong things. And I highlight a couple of things in my book that I have noticed my patients, again, my framework in terms of happiness of my book is about trauma, the physical rehab and recovery phase. But I really believe that the topics that I cover um, really transcend rehab, the physical, physical rehab realm, and um, are applicable to sort of daily struggles, daily challenges that we all face in life, whether it's a spinal cord injury, a stroke, 
um, and traumatic brain injury or relationships, losing a job financially. I just feel like the messages and the things that I've learned from my patients can help others. And that's my hope um, as people sort of read my book. Yes. The book is written in three parts, uh, as I read on your uh, Facebook page. Can you break down each of them, you know, briefly and, and what they are all about? Sure. So the first part of the book, um, so I go through the introduction and then the first part of my um, book is sort of how you know we got here. I give a brief history of the profession of physical therapy. So I was, of course, I'm a physical therapist and with the governing body in terms of um, the American Physical uh, Therapy Association is actually coming up on next year will be a hundred years um, so I highlight that in sort of the, the history of physical therapy. I then dive into the mind-body connection and the impact of the mind and sort of how it um, impacts our physical recovery. And then in the last part, um, the last chapter of the first part, I talk about the diagnostic groups. I highlight spinal cord injury, stroke, traumatic brain injury, and anyone who has had an amputation. So they're just quick little um, cheat sheets to talk about different things that if you're going through one of those particular injuries, sort of um, just as a resource, some medical professionals that you might have to be dealing with, just sort of statistics, just as a reference and a guide to help guide those individuals going through or family members going through that process. I also talk about in this part, caregivers, unsung heroes. The caregivers I've been exposed to have been amazing and instrumental in the recovery of my patients. So I talk a little bit about the importance of caregiving. That sort of wraps up the first part. The second part of the book is really when I dive into the happiness perspective. And I talk about four things specifically, um, the four pillars of happiness as I sort of know them to be true in the physical rehab and recovery realm. Before I do that though, I highlight You know, I learn about, as a physical therapist, all the different muscles in the body. I argue that in physical therapy school, I learned, we did not learn about one of the most important, if not the most important muscle in our body, what I refer to as our happiness muscle. So I talk about that a little bit. And then the four keys that I know to be true from my experiences. The first one is turning apathy into altruism. Um, The second one is It's okay to have moments of weakness or bad days, but not letting it turn into a mentality of weakness. The third one is turning grief into gratitude. And then the fourth one is really trusting the process in recovery versus looking at the final product. So those are the four things that I sort of outline in my book. And then the last part, I talk about three things specifically that my patients have taught me. Um, One of them, I'll just give sort of a little... Um, sort of glimpse into is just the power of human connection. Mm-hmm. We, I am fortunate enough every single day to meet people I would have never otherwise met. Um, I get to try to help them, but just simple little things make the biggest impact. Handshakes, eye contact, um, being able to connect with someone I feel like is a lost art. So that's one of the three things that I, one of my, that my patients have taught me specifically. 
And I highlight two other ones sort of in that last part of the book. Boy, I tell you, you're very perceptive because everything you've hit on there, myself as a patient, I can, I'm right there with you on everything. I, I can't wait to get my uh, my hands on this book. And But, <laughs> but how about, Ferris, I'm sure you've had, um, you've seen the flip side where, hey, listen, let's face it, having a catastrophic injury is, is no stroll in the park. Um, I had friends when I was an inpatient who never even wanted to go to therapy and all they wanted to do was have someone roll their wheelchair mm-hmm. down the big hill there at Kessler, you know, the big hill. And, right. and they just really couldn't come to grips and they still, I still speak to some folks that, that want no part of this. So how do you tailor your therapeutic protocols to folks who right. are not all in because a lot of people, I don't know a lot of people, but some people are not. I'm sure you've had experiences in that respect. Absolutely. Um, one of the things my soccer coach taught me, um, sort of just to, you can't, so this is a direct quote from him and something that I carry with me on a daily basis. You can't, um, force something, you can't force someone to do something they don't want to do. So as a physical therapist, obviously I want them to be, to want to get better. But unfortunately there's times when I just can't, the one thing I can do is I can promise to be there when their therapy session is, I can try to do my best. And I can't force them to do something. I think we all have it in us. And I'm fortunate enough to try to get that out of people. But I don't personally believe that I'm the direct reason why people sort of tap into whatever they already have. I think I can help them sort of get there a little bit. But I don't, I think we all have it. And I honestly don't have an answer for that. I think, you know, I talk about the stages of grief in the book a little bit. I think we all have to go through it. I always wonder how I would be if I were to have a spinal cord injury, if I were to have my leg amputated, I don't know. But um, just from my experiences and what I've seen, I know these four things are instrumental in trying to shift their perspective and trying to help them sort of get out of their little funk that they're in after going through such traumatic injuries. So I don't think there's an answer. I don't have a perfect answer for that, but um, these are just some of my insights that I know are helpful and have helped my patients sort of start to unlock their happiness. You have insights and stories from Eric Legrand, Inky Johnson, Victor Frankel, and Adele Levine. Could you give us a brief mm-hmm. summary of each of these folks? Sure. So Eric Legrand um, is part of the Kessler family. He We're actually coming up on 10 years, oddly enough, since his injury. He actually had a spinal cord injury playing the game that he loved. Um, so it's funny that you have him for the 10th episode, I think next month, if I'm not mistaken, or this year is 10 years Yes, it will um, be. since his injury, but, um, he had a spinal cord injury and, um, his injury was, uh, pretty high up his spinal cord. So he, um, is paralyzed from the, pretty much the neck down and the things he's been able to do in the past 10 years to speak to the four things that I sort of tap into in my book. Um, so I talk and he, I sort of tackle those things with him in my interview with him, which was super insightful. Adele Levine is the author of one of my favorite books. She's actually a physical therapist. Um, she wrote a book about her experiences. It's called Run, Don't Walk, about her experiences in Walter Reed. And she worked specifically with amputees, so coming back from war. So it was all about her insight Um my interview with her and about her experiences and sort of what she was able to see 
work best for her patients working in that particular setting. Very cool. Inky Johnson is, yeah, it was pretty cool talking to them. And it's something that I never thought I would, you know, be able to talk to these people. And it's, it's been part of, you know, this part of the process has been super, super fun. Um, So Inky Johnson is actually another football player and he, like Eric Legrand had got injured playing football. He went to the university of Tennessee and um, he had a break, what's called a brachial plexus injury. So his arm was paralyzed and he also ruptured in the same injury, uh, his subclavian artery. So he's able to walk. He's his right arm is paralyzed, but his messages and his ability to, his grief into gratitude and um, really dedicate since his injury, his life to service and helping others. I talk about that as well. And then Victor Frankel um, is a author of a book called man's search for meeting. And he was an Austrian doctor who went through multiple different concentration camps and he sort of taps into and dives into how people were able to make it out of these concentration camps and some of the things that he noticed helped these individuals sort of not only get through and survive the, um, the concentration, the concentration camps, but sort of find meaning and lean into, you know, their new uh, renewed purpose in life. So Ferris, I see that one thing that sticks out with all of these folks is the power of their mind, sort of a, not really a mind over matter because you're not going to mind over matter, a spinal cord injury, but the fact that you need a strong mind that will get you through your hard times. Is that something that you found? Absolutely. And that's sort of what I highlight in part one of the book, talking about all the different um, studies and the science behind the impact of our thoughts and how it impacts physically our bodies. Um, So I definitely dive into that. And, you know, like you said, it's not, you're not trying to heal a spinal cord injury, but, um, you know, the, the impact of the mind and has ramifications on our body. And I really talk about that in the book. Um, and how it impacts our body specifically. Please tell our listeners how you are going about getting the book published and how maybe they can help you out. So, like I said, I started this journey back in January um, and I just started my pre-sale campaign. And my pre-sale campaign runs from um, July 14th to August 14th. So it's a month long and I'm working with New Degree Press. That's a publishing company. And the, all the money that I raise um, covers my publishing costs. And once I hit my goal, um, all the costs after that, I'm actually working with them. I would like to um, try to figure out how I can sort of put some of the proceeds towards some sort of organization or charity. Um, so that's something to be determined, but I will definitely keep you posted on that for updates. Right now, my pre-sale campaign, I can share with you, John, as well, is... Um, I can send you the link. Yes, um, please tell our listeners yeah. where they can go. Can they? Uh, I, I saw that you have something on Facebook. Is that something that? Uh, is there another website where they can go and uh, sort of a GoFundMe yep, type so of pe- a thing? Absolutely. So people can connect with me on Facebook. It's just my first name and my last name, Faris Vicori, and then my Instagram is Faris, my first name. Two nine eight six is my Instagram name as well, and my. The link is in both of my um, pages on both of those. So my campaign runs for the next two weeks. And then I go through my editing phase with my acquiring editor. And then my book does not officially get published until December 
of this year. So it's going to be a couple more months, but we're getting there. Great. Now, do you have photos or or, uh, illustrations? I mean, what what do you have uh, that goes along with uh, all of the great words that you've got in there? So I do have in part one of the book, when I talk about the diagnostic keys, I do have little charts for each um, diagnostic group. So they're quick little cheat sheets, um, talks about all the different medical professionals, the statistics of spinal cord injury, um, who you might need to call. Um, and then I talk about sort of, I have a clinical pearl for each diagnostic group about one thing specifically I think is, you know, very important for, in order to know about that diagnostic group. So for spinal cord injury, one of the things I talk about, um, is autonomic dysreflexia Oof. and how that's such an important sort of insight to have for that particular diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So my hope is someone who's reading it, whether it's a caregiver, a family member, or, or someone who, a patient, they have a little bit of insight into it. And, you know, it's just a reference. That part of the book is really just as a guide to, you know, anyone who's going through that sort of injury. Yes. Well, I'm going to I'm going to tell you um that I will definitely get the book and I think I should also tell you and my listeners that I think the last book that I read cover to cover, I'm ashamed to say this, <laughs> was Green Eggs and Ham. So we're we're going nice. back a long way. So, but I am definitely all in on the happiness perspective um because I'm looking forward to to learning um you know about what makes me tick and and what other mm-hmm. folks have gone through and how it has, you know, changed the way you look at things. What What is next for you, Ferris? Do you think there's another book in there somewhere? I'm trying to sort of focus all my energies right now on this particular book. I would actually, you inspired me, John, to, to be honest. I know we chatted briefly, but I would love to do a podcast in the near future mm-hmm. as a springboard off of the book. Um, and I'm sort of working on that now, um, talking about happiness. So I'm hoping to get that out there, talking to different medical professionals, just anyone going through sort of traumas and trying to dive into what people find happiness in. Um, so that's something that I would really like to launch in the, before the year is over. So that's something that I'm hoping to um, do and maybe we can collaborate a little bit more. That would be that. great. And boy, does the world need happiness now? I mean, good grief with hmm. with with the way things are all going and now throw up a global pandemic. I mean, some, it's funny. Crazy. I was working out in the gym today and Liz, my PT, brought over uh, the mirror so that I could see how my hip was kicking out to the left like it's not supposed to do. So we're, we're working mm-hmm. on that. And I, and I looked up and I saw myself and I'm like, oh my God, I've got this stupid mask on my face. Sometimes I forget. I mean, what are we living through? This is so crazy. So I, I think a podcast that that can highlight happiness. I mean, I'm all in. People could, people need that. And, and, you know, if I can help you out in any way, that would be great. I appreciate that. And I just wanted to acknowledge you too. I know we talked about this, you starting your podcast. So spreading, you know, awareness and, you know, we just passed, it's crazy. The American Disabilities Act was 30 years ago. We just passed it. It's, it's not that long ago. So this, you know, is a step in the right direction, having this podcast talking about, you know, individuals with disabilities. I think, you know, we need more things like this. So I just want to acknowledge you for, you know, taking that first step and launching this. This is great. I love this concept and I wish you all the best with it, John. I I appreciate that. Great thing. Yeah. And, and I highlighted in my intro how, um, 
when I first met you, I was working with Karen Baig at the time. And, you know, I was saying, mm-hmm. hey, you know, I got She's this great. really cool idea. And he said, yeah, you should do it. You should really do it. And I said, yeah, I've been talking about it for like 10 years. So it was kind of like, <laughs> you know what, or get off the pot. So I finally went through with it. But, um, nice. you know, I like to give an assist to both of you for sort of giving me that final push. But And then I wanted to know if and when the happiness perspective comes out in an audio version, can you think of anyone who you might want to do the do the uh, recording of it? Oh, that's a great question. I haven't <laughs> thought about that, but I, th- I think you and I can talk and we can arrange something. I love your, I love your voice. I know I told you this already, but oh, that's um, funny. I think you have a great voice. I haven't thought about it. So if I am fortunate enough to get there, you and I can talk. Uh, it's funny. You know, I'm actually <laughs> trying to, to branch off into maybe trying to do some voiceovers for different people, different commercials. So, and if anybody's out there listening that, that, that loves the velvety tones over here and works for cheap, uh, give me a shout. But, uh, so that's something (laughs) down the road, who knows, but listen, Ferris, I want to thank you again for joining us today. Um, you are a throwback. You're you're a young man that has worldly experience well beyond your your age, and uh, we need that now. And I think this book, The Happiness Perspective, is something that people with a spinal cord injury, with a brain injury, amputations, whatever, are going to want to pick up, and able-bodied folks as well, because um, there's a lot in there that you can sink your your teeth wow. into, and and we really look forward to. Uh, it coming out in December. And again, if they can help, where can, where can people go again one more time? Absolutely. So they can just go right to my Facebook page, Farris, uh, for Corey's how you get there. And then my Instagram is just Farris2986. Yep. 2986. And the link is directly in my bio. So you'll be able to see that. Um, And again, thank you for all the support. I appreciate it. And if you don't mind, John, I do have one question for you before we wrap up. Yes, by all means, turn the tables on me. All right. So I'm not sure if anybody has done that before, but um, one thing that I'm trying to sort of, again, my book is The Happiness Perspective. So I would like to know from you, what is your definition of happiness? Wow. My definition of happiness, (laughs) you know, my definition of happiness would be um, having loved ones around that, uh, you know, unfortunately I lost my, my father who was my hero and my everything. We lost him five years ago, but, uh, I'm lucky enough to have, uh, a wonderful mom and I have my sister, Susan and, and her family, her husband and, uh, and two kids, her husband, Chaz and my niece, Megan and, and my nephew, Charlie to have them around. Um, and, and to have them, you know, sort of accept me for who I am. I know I am from the land of the misfit toys now. And, you know, there's a part of me that, that really wishes that, you know, people that I know, like even like yourself would have had a chance to, to know me before all of this. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's that I have such great uh, family and great friends that that don't let me fall through the cracks that that keep me nice. you know in the loop you know they shoot me a text or on the phone or someone wants to meet up for a beer one night or something like that and it's it's the fact that you know even though life is not easy that uh, that I can wake up with a smile on my face because I know that there's folks that are out there that are in my in my court and uh, and still want the best for me and keep me keep me involved I think that would be what what keeps me happy and makes me happy. That's great. I love that. Does that. Thanks for sharing. Can I fit into the addendum of the book, maybe? 
I might, I might have to throw that in there. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Well, listen, again, I, I really, this has been a pleasure to have you on. And, uh, and I look forward to seeing you around campus because I'm still uh, in therapy three days a week, so they haven't kicked me out yet. I'll make sure I come visit you. It's always a pleasure to see you, Jeff. Excellent. And let's collaborate in the future. We'll get Karen on here. Perfect. I would love that. We have to get her on here. We've been talking about it for so long, so we got to make it happen. That's a date. We'll get it done. Thanks again, my friend. Sounds and we'll, good. We'll talk to you down the road. Now, isn't this just the perfect time for a book entitled The Happiness Perspective to come out? I mean, who couldn't use a little bit more of it in their lives, especially right now? I want to thank the author and my friend Faris Fakuri once again for joining me and giving us a sneak peek. I also want to thank my sound engineer, Chris Parapesco at Sound Lounge in New York City for making the show sound oh so professional once again. On behalf of all of the good folks here at the Quadcast, I'm John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. I don't